1: Welcome, fighter fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Sean Basto, Joined by Johnston Brown, this is our new series for BTR Boxing Podcast, Career Profiles. We're going to be going through the career profiles of some of the greatest fighters that ever lived and we'll be putting polls out every single week for you, the listeners, to vote on it on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod. And we're going to be starting off with the greatest, Muhammad Ali. But first, before we get into this episode, please go and find us on social media. First of all, on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook at BTR Boxing Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you already have, thank you so much. If you've not already rated and reviewed us, please go and do it. If this is the first time you're listening to us, please go and leave us a rating and leave us a review. If you're not on Apple and you're on Android, any good podcasting app out there, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM even Spotify and Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel you can find us on there and subscribe to get all the latest episodes of all our different series that we run so this is it then, this is the first in a new series of career profiles we're going to be profiling the greatest, Mr. Muhammad Ali
0: and now ladies and gentlemen from Louisville, Kentucky wearing black tie Mr. Cassius Marcellus Clay, his classic poem, I am the greatest. This kid's got a left, this kid's got a right, if he hits you once, you're asleep for the night, this kid fights great, he's got speed and endurance. but if you sign to fight him, increase
1: your insurance. So, Johnston, this is our new series, Career Profiles, and we're starting with the greatest, Muhammad Ali. And what a fighter to start with. What uh, an absolute enigma of a man to start with when it comes to career profiles.
2: Ah, he was the greatest. He was charismatic. He was outspoken. He was exceptionally gifted. And as you said once, uh, he was handsome. (laughs) He was fast. And he couldn't possibly be be beat. And uh, to be honest, you couldn't think of anyone better than Muhammad Ali to do this this career profile with... um, Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Great, great pick from both of us too. We haven't put it out at the poll, but, you know, we'll do that for the next load. But, um, yeah great, eagerly anticipated to get this one in and uh, yeah, what, what a fantastic person and, and a great
1: fighter. Indeed and we will go into him as a man, as a fighter very shortly. So the format of this career profiles then for you the listeners is really we decided we wanted to sit down and go through the careers of fighters like Harley, many other fighters out there and as Johnson just touched on there, we're going to be doing polls every week like we do with Legendary Knights. We'll put a poll out, four fantastic fighters, legendary fighters and you will will pick the fighter you want us to do the career profile on and the way we're going to do these career profiles is we're going to obviously do a little bit of background in the early years we're going to look at where they came from what it was like for them growing up and then their boxing careers going into what made them into their sort of statuses that we know them as today so we're going to talk about early careers any amateur achievements significant fights now obviously we've got the legendary night series if you've not already heard it go and check it out but we've got the legendary night series which is covered off some of the fights that you may hear in things like Muhammad Ali's career profile, or say, a Sugar Ray Leonard profile, we've covered fights off of these guys before, so if you want more detailed analysis of particular fights of their careers, go and check out the Legendary Knights series for that. But this is going to be more of a run-through of some of the significant events that happened inside and outside the ring of these fighters' careers, and as we said, we're starting with the greatest. Who else could we have started with, really, for this? There's no one else out there that you could could say, would justify doing a career profile on this is the man that everybody would love to sit at a dinner table with, a conversation with, any sort of interaction with. This is the man you would have wanted to be around, and I'm really pleased to be doing this career profile on Muhammad Ali, aka Cassius Clay. We'll go into the background of Muhammad Ali first of all I think that's where we want to start with Johnson we want to start of where where it all began for him and I mentioned Cassius Clay there for for anybody that's been living under the rock for for the lifetime Cassius Clay was obviously (laughs) the original name of Muhammad Ali so he was born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. on January 17th 1942 in Louisville Kentucky and he was a sibling with one sister four brothers and he also had a father named Cassius Marcellus Clay Sr as well and you heard a lot about his career and some of the stuff he talked about in his career the fact that he came from descendants of slaves and you know he was very much against the name because he believed it was a slave name and that's why he eventually ended up changing his name to Muhammad Ali it was actually true doing a little bit of digging and a bit of research on on you know Muhammad Ali's career and stuff that I did know and stuff that I didn't know I was very surprised to actually see he he did actually have descendants from the slave trade era and I can understand why when we get into his career and we talk about people like Ernie Terrell calling him Cassius Clay to his face and the whole debacle there why he was so you know why he got his back up so much about it all now I can understand truly why he got his back up so much about it all because of the background of it all and you know the whole Disgusting slave trade that went on hundreds of years ago, but where it began for him then, Johnston. You know, we've heard many, many stories about his upbringing, his background. What are the What are the stories that you originally heard about Muhammad Ali?
2: Well, one that the, what got him into boxing was one that always struck me. Um, at the age of twelve years old, uh, he actually got his uh, brand new bike stolen from him. Um, so he, he actually reported it to the nearest policeman at the time. And he was, uh, you know, early at 12 years old, pretty much as as he was, it, it sort of, as we know how he is, uh, how he was. Uh, so he was sort of giving it, sort of giving threat to the police and what he's going to do to the thief when he catches him. And um, ironically, the policeman, actually, he he uh, run an amateur boxing programme. Um, so he suggested it might be a good idea for Cassis to, to come and learn some boxing um, before sort of, uh, you know, uh, get himself, if he, if he wants to beat up the Thief, then let's get him prepared to fight, to, to, to fight the Thief if we ever sort of lock on with him. Um, so, you know, sooner or later, he, he did go to the gym uh, regularly uh, and within sort of six weeks. He had his first uh, amateur fight at the age of 12 years old uh, and he'd done just enough to win. Uh, but, you know, as as Cassius Clay or Mohammed, you know, Cassius Clay, was then, he, uh, he, he was very... Uh, outspoken, and, and he was telling everybody he's going to be the greatest of the world. So, <laughs> so Clay being Clay, he, he sees something in himself early doors. Uh, and he just he, di- he displayed a, rebar- a remarkable self-discipline uh, in his training, uh, running. He was doing his, a lot of running in the mornings. He uh, was going to the gym and sparring after school. So he showed he had something um, at the age of 12. And obviously that carried on to the point of when he was 18. And then um, he got into the amateur scene. Um, and then obviously... You know, fought in six procedures, gold, golden gloves, ti- uh, golden gloves titles at state level and national level before moving on to the Olympics.
1: The Olympics was where he became a breakout star as a boxer. I think we knew him as an outspoken fighter You know, we we, we, we always known him as that because we didn't grow up in that area. But you know, when you look at all the videos, all the documentaries, everything that he's out there, and there's plenty of it. You can go there and look at the, you know, to get an insight into the man's mind. And like you say, from the age of 12 he always had this charismatic side of him where you're kind of looking back on some of the historical stuff interview wise of his you always kind of knew even in the early interviews that he was going to go on to do something special in the sport and his first breakout moment obviously came in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome when he won a light heavyweight gold medal in a few moments the judges votes will be tallied and the winner will receive amateur boxing's highest award
0: the Olympic gold medal the decision goes to Cassius Clay of the United States. The graciously congratulates him, and then Ziggy's quartermen also acknowledge Clay's masterful boxing exhibition. Just moments
1: later in the award ceremony, the fighters take their places on the victory stand. Cassius
0: Clay has presented the coveted gold medal for his tremendous victory in the light heavyweight division of the Olympic boxing championships, a magnificent conclusion to the
1: 1960 Rome Olympics. And, you know, that was it. That was where his career started from, really, for me. That was where he really started to pick up because, you know, there's great interviews around of, of him, you know, winning the gold medal and talking about what he wanted to do going forward. And his amateur record was... Pretty outstanding, to be honest with you, at this period of time. He finished his amateur career with 100 wins and only 5 losses. Now, that, for me, is is quite incredible, quite outstanding. I mean, people refer to this day and age and the amateur scene and some of the fighters out there that have been incredible amateurs, but we're talking 50 60 70 years ago here you know this is a very long time ago boxing was different rules and regulations were different and for him to have gone in and had 105 fights winning 100 and only losing five what a great amateur career topping it off with that gold medal in the olympics
2: yeah yeah and, and he, he, he literally breathed through the olympics in that heavyweight division he he, he took that gold medal with, with almost ease and it, I mean, there was a funny story as well that um Apparently, he was absolutely petrified of flying. Um, so, so when they eventually talked him into Boulder plane, apparently he insisted that he wanted to wear a parachute during the flight, <laughs> just in case it crashed. So you can imagine, Arlene, wearing a parachute all the way. Uh, and when he actually did arrive in Rome, he tried with a great line. He said... Uh, I don't worry about the fight. I just worry about the flights. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he, he, he had that great tongue from early age. Um, and he is just, he, he just, I think, you know, many people considered him at the time to be a bit of a cocky little git, but, and not many believed it, you know, in what he was saying. I don't think many felt that he had the ability to, to, to do the things that he suggested, but boy, were they wrong. And, and he did just carry on that, 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 that characteristic, that, that, that unbelievable side to him that, no one can compare with, he just had this aura about him that, that no other fighters have ever had um, and, and, yeah, and, and it was literally from that moment winning that gold medal and, and, and he was on, on, on the verge of turning pro Well
1: there was a story about the gold medal that was disputed and I'll tell you the story and the listeners the story about what apparently was reported at the time, so when he returned from the Rome Olympics in 1960 a couple of weeks afterwards apparently he threw his gold medal into the Ohio River after he and a friend were refused service at a white only restaurant and fought with a white gang. Now this was the story that was disputed. This was... Being said is that it never happened, it was bullshit basically. But the real story, according to Thomas Hauser in his biography of Ali, stated that Ali was refused service at the diner, but he actually lost his medal a year after he won it. Ali did go on to receive a replacement medal uh, at a basketball intermission during the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, which is something we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later on down the line uh, about his involvement in that particular Olympics. So again, you know, there's so many different stories that, you know, you'd heard about about him and this was one that I didn't actually know I didn't know that, you know, there was rumours of him throwing his own gold medal into the lake, I can't see him have done that to be honest with you, I think that was again, it was just a made up story to get to get attention and to get press, to be honest it's more than likely, you know, the truth is that he lost it for whatever reason, however it happened and you know, he, fortunately he did go on to get a replacement of it, but it was just a little a bit of an interesting story, I mean, obviously Obviously, he was very much for uh, the black power movement, and, and obviously, that particular era, without being too political about it, was, was a very difficult era for people of colour because obviously, you know, they were told they can't sit in a bus, they were told they couldn't do this, they were told they couldn't do that. The police, you know, always pulled them over. The police, Even today, it still happens, but again, let's not go too political into it. But it's the truth, and that, that's what was happening back then, which still happens now, and that's something that we'll talk about later on down the line as he battles through it outside of the ring in his career. So as you say, he makes his professional debut on October the 29th, 1960 winning a six-round decision over Tony Hunsaker. And from then until the end of 1963 he amassed a record of 19-0 and with 15 wins by knockout. He defeated boxers which included Tony Esperetta, Jim Robinson, Donnie Fleeman, Alonzo Johnson, George Logan, Willie Besmanov, Lamar Clark, Doug Jones and our very own good old Henry Cooper.
2: Yes. Henry Cooper, goodness, yeah. Uh, he he, uh, he he came over um, with, with that. Again, he, he was pretty cocky. I mean, he was predicting women for them fights. He predicted uh, several of them fights. Um, I, I believe before he fought... Um, Charlie Powell, he, he had predicted seven of the eight fights that he had won, so he was getting the rounds right, um, which was all part of, of the enigma of uh, of Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay as was at the time. But um, yeah, he, he said he'd get rid of him in five. Um, he said that he actually came into the into the ring as well wearing a crown, um, and he said like afterwards he said you have a queen of England, but you don't have a king. So that was why he came in wearing the crown um, and you know it, it, he, he I think he came with a little bit uh, it was a bit cocky because Andrew Dundee recently I, I, I did hear that he said you know you've got to be careful of Henry Cooper especially that, that left hook he's it's a dangerous left hook and he was like nah come on I, I couldn't I can dance around him all day and then,
0: well Henry Cooper's nothing but a tramp he's a bum I'm the world's greatest he must fall in five rounds but if you talk about me I'll cut his three your prediction about John Jones didn't go quite right though well, Doug Jones was a little tougher than I thought he was, but uh, I'll never fight another fella as tough as Doug Jones, not even that big, ugly, bear Sonny Lester. Is he your next fight? Well, after I now late this Henry Cooper, I want that bear. And what's going to happen to him? I want him bad. What's going to happen to him? He might be great, but he'll fall in eight. And what after that? President of the United States? Well, no, I'll never shoot for nothing like that, but I'm, I'm the prettiest fighter in the ring today. That's my label. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg.
2: Obviously, um, we all know that that every dammer, it landed in the forefront um, and well, there's a few, thankfully, for Ali, landed on the ropes and it was right at the end of the round because who knows if Henry Cooper had, have, had have won that fight and finished off Cassius Clay at the time because, you know, that, that fight was, everybody was talking about Sonny Liston, so that could have been Emory Cooper instead of Muhammad Ali, literally just before the Sonny Liston fight. So. But as we know, he eventually um, did recover. Um, it was a little bit longer. I mean, people did mention, obviously, the smelling salts they were around at the time that you, you were allowed to use them um, and he did actually actually managed an extra six seconds at the break I think people mentioned 20 or 30 seconds which is is, is not true it was just yeah only the six the six seconds also there was a, a, a slight slit on the glove um, obviously we'll know every Cooper was susceptible to cut um, Andrew Dundee didn't say that he had cut it open, he said there was a slip there, and he may have just made it a little bit wider. Um, so, as you know, when Arlie threw them jabs and them right hands, he would glance them shots. So, you know, opening that cut nicely on Henry Cooper's eye, which eventually stopped, uh, the, the referee stopped the fight. And if, if anyone has never seen the fight, watch the first fight. Uh, um, it is at Wembley Stadium um, and Emory Cooper's face is an absolute picture it's, it's, it's brutal um, and the referee was absolutely right to stop it but unlucky for Emery because he's, he's one of my idols he lived in Benham which weren't too far from me I literally ran my neck in the woods he's a bit of an idol for me um, so I was obviously I, I'm not around at the time but unfortunately he couldn't have got the, got the job done and beat uh, Cassius Clay but you know, Cassius K, what a great guy he was. So, the um, end of the day they become great friends in the long run. But um, yeah, it was interesting. If if he could have won that fight, who knows? Who he could have gone into fault listing, it that'd have been a nice away. Eh? But what was
1: interesting about looking back on his career in more detail than than the major marquee facts that everybody knows when they hear like the Frella and Renilla, you know, we've got other information that I was I was very surprised at and actually it doesn't really come across in most of the documentaries. The fact that Archie Moore, former professional heavyweight himself, was actually the original trainer before Angelo Dundee of Muhammad Ali. And that's something, actually, Mm -hmm. even I never knew. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I've got a Mm -hmm. a breadth of knowledge when it comes to boxing history, but this was something I didn't originally know until looking in further down the line. So he actually ended up going on to beat Archie Moore now the reason he actually left Moore camp was actually because Archie Moore had asked him to do chores such as washing the dishes and sweeping so he basically said nope I ain't doing this I ain't doing no sweeping, I ain't doing no cleaning, and decided to ditch the Archie Moore side and decided to go with Angelo Dundee to be his trainer. And they'd already met before previously Dundee and Ali. They actually met in February 1957 during Clay's amateur career at the time. So it was around this time that Muhammad Ali... Cassius Clay had sought his long-time Sugar Ray Robinson to be his manager, but that didn't happen. That was, you know, crazy to think like some of these names that we're throwing out here, like wow. Angelo Dundee. You know, he'd already read, he'd already met him in the amateurs. He ends up going on to become his trainer, and the rest is history, as we'll talk about. And then he actually tried to get Sugar Ray Robinson to be his manager, and that is something again I didn't know. I didn't have no clue of that, and I was very surprised to read about that when I was doing the research for the episode and. You know, Sugar Ray Robinson arguably is classed as one of the greatest, if not the greatest. When you do the pound for pounds, some people actually put Ray Robinson above Muhammad Ali in these top 10 pound for pounds of all time. So, you know, that just says it all. You know, Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali looked up to Sugar Ray Robinson and wanted him to be his manager. And he had Angelo Dundee as his trainer.
2: Wow. I never knew that. I never knew. I, I, one thing I do recall is he did mention obviously Sugar Ray Robinson was his idol when he bumped into him and he wasn't too polite. He, he sort of fogged him off when he was a kid. So he didn't quite like that and he always said that, you know, with him when he's a, when he's famous and people want to speak to him, he'd always give people his time. So that's interesting that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm and I'm with you. I mean, uh, for me, I would always, I will put Sugar Ray Robinson ahead of Mohamed Ali when it comes to Pan for Pan. Um, if you're talking about in terms of not just fighting but we're talking in terms of with everything and the whole what what the persona and you know what a guy brings in and outside the ring then obviously Ali is the greatest without a shadow of a doubt but for me Sugar Ray Robinson is the best but um yeah that's interesting i never knew that never knew that
1: so after he beats Henry Cooper which was in 1963 he gets his shot at a world title now this was where things started to become very interesting for his career at this point he'd obviously got himself into a position he was very brash he was very cocky this is where we started to get to see some of the great lines come out of Muhammad Ali so he was the number one contender for the WBC WBA heavyweight titles the champion at the time Sonny Liston the very feared Sonny Liston I might add this was a guy who was a monster this was a guy who he was knocking everybody out for fun. Sonny Liston, in the lead up to the first fight with him, you know, he'd been knocking people out for the fun of it. Absolutely knocking people out for the fun of it. But there's always the story of, of Sonny Liston's sort of tarnished career, of, you know, his affiliation with the mobsters back in that particular era and, you know, the, theori- the theories of how he actually died. There's, there's a lot of stuff we could even talk about with Sonny Liston, but for this particular episode, focusing on Muhammad Ali, the Sonny Liston fight was. was huge for him because he was the young puppy, he was the guy that was coming through with all the confidence in the world uh, he was ready for it, he was absolutely ready for this at this time and you look back on the videos and the interviews this was just. It was. It was like it was always meant to be. When you know people believe things happen for a reason, or they believe in fate, and I think this was the part of fate and things that were supposed to happen for a reason. It was always gonna. It was always gonna be Muhammad Ali <laughs> winning against Sonny Liston. For me, you know, when I look back on everything I've ever read or ever looked at, the way he come into that, he was the underdog. He was a seven to one underdog, but he didn't give a shit about that. He was taunting Liston during the pre-fight build-up. He's got calling him the big ugly bear a list and listen, even smells like a bear and he was saying to him after I beat him I'm going to donate him to the zoo
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm young I'm handsome I'm fast I'm pretty and can't possibly be beat you might be young and handsome but you won't be after I finish with you if you like to lose your money be a fool and bet on Sonny I'm pretty sure people's not a fool to bet on you they have to be a fool and bet on me you're 40 years old if a day, and you don't belong in the rain with cash of clay. No, I shouldn't because it would be a disgrace to see the people, let the people see me kill you like I am. The odds should be three and a half to one that you won't show up for the fight. The odds should be 10 to nothing that you don't last for the first round.
2: He was really, he was really, uh, he was really sort of up, up tight. For, the, for that weighing um in the morning before the fight, um he was going berserk wasn't really. he i'm ready to rumble now he's saying and uh you know and, and even when uh, he, he got examined by the doctor, the doctor actually said that uh, in his opinion, the fighter was scared to death he said "Man, no, he's actually he's petrified that's why his heart's beating so fast. but it was all it was all part of you know the game that that Cassius Clay at the time I mean, we've got to call him Clay I suppose at the moment um, we haven't changed his name yet but it was all part of the plan um, and when uh, sort of in and around his team he's called him and did ask him like, what are you playing at? why are you acting like a nutcase and he sort of said because Liston thinks it, because Liston thinks I'm, I'm a nut he's scared of he's scared of no man but he's scared of a nut so in his head he's thinking I'm going to get Liston's head. and therefore he's, if he's a bit scared of me, then you know hopefully you know playing them mind games. That's that's what he did. Um, and you know you got to remember Liston was he was feared, wasn't he? Uh, he was an absolute monster in the ring. He 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 literally destroyed Floyd Patterson in those two fights. Um, uh, you know, it, and, and nobody nobody gave Claire a chance. It was it was it was a big upset. Everybody was against him. No one fought over the last what two rounds with him. Um, I mean Liston had. He had fought three fights, um, so, so uh, Liston had fought just three fights in a total of six minutes and 14 seconds in three years, whereas Clay had fought 14 times, including three 10-rounders. So, yeah, when you look at that, you've got to think, actually, you know, Liston's not really been active, although he's been blasting people out, so in people's heads, they're thinking he's just going to get rid of him in no time. But in actual fact, you look at that, and as you say, like, when you look through it now, obviously we all know how, how great he became. But how was he such a such an underdog? And I, I think for me, it was because of the, the way he was and the way he carried himself. You know, that, At that time in, in the 60s, you know, that wasn't how they expected to act. Um, and you think Floyd Patterson they loved Floyd Patterson because he was respectful that's, that's basically how they see it he had to be nice and respectful to his opponents and, and to the press and um, no Ali wasn't so for them they didn't like him and, and they hated him for that they hated him being so boastful but that you know that, that was what that was what makes him so great is that he, he took himself out of this stereotype of what you're supposed to be and he and he created this, this guy it was a persona because he was a lovely guy in actual fact it's just in front of the cameras he would act up like this but you know he even talks about Gorgeous George Gorgeous George was a guy he he watched for years in wrestling and people hated him and had paid to go and watch Gorgeous George and he never quite understood if people hate someone why are they paying and they're like well they want to see him get beat so he thought well if I'm like Gorgeous George and everyone's going to want, want to watch Come and pay tickets to go and watch me get beat. It's good business. They thought I'm going to do that. <laughs> and that's what he did. <laughs> so he done it brilliantly for Sunny Liston and and well, you know, I mean, I don't. You could touch on the fight, so but it, it was a great fight as well, and he was just outstanding. There was things that happened in the fight as well, which again was a little bit sus, um which I thought, if you if you if you want to talk about it, some, but it was there was a couple of incidents in there with the gloves and yeah, it was it was a it was an interesting first fight. It
1: was it was significant in his career because it was the first time he'd become heavyweight champion in the world. So he did win this fight. Obviously, that's what history tells us. But as you were talking about and alluding to some of the stories in there, yeah, there was one major story that that came out of this one. The well, there's two. The first one was the fact that he caught Liston, which had never been done before. Liston never suffered a cut in his career, so the fact that he got through and cut Liston was was huge. You know, this was a guy who was essentially invincible like a monster and all the rest of it, and he cut him. And this is where things started to change in the fight. They, the corner of Liston, used some sort of ointment that was supposed to be used for his cut on his eye. And rumour has it, and I say that very strongly rumour, rumour has it that they actually... You know this 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 ointment was used and smeared a little bit on the gloves of Liston. So when Liston was throwing shots at Cassius Clay, he was getting when he was connecting, they were getting through. And at the end of the fourth round, Cassius Clay is coming back to his corner complaining that his eyes are burning, they're really really burning. He's actually slightly blinded him as a result. And then what happened was Liston decides to come out and try to knock play out and he's really going for it he's really going for it in this one because they obviously know that there's something up with Clay's eyes. Now it begs the question whether all the shady mob stuff had something to do with it we'll never ever know the real story behind it all but it does look and sound very very suspect Cassius Clay was able to survive that fifth round and eventually got into the sixth, dominated Liston, absolutely dominated him in the sixth round to the point where he didn't want to come out for the seventh and that was him winning his first world title by TKO and this is where the legacy really really begins for me then is, is this first listing fight is the win and the confidence going into it people thinking he ain't got a chance against him and for him to come out on top the way he did with that adversity in the fight as well with obviously the slight blindness of the eyes because of this ointment We again we don't know if it was true I'm just putting it out there it's a lot of theories going around that it was ointment that was purposely put on there to blind the opponents of Liston because, the, all, you know, Cassius Clay wasn't the first opponent to have complained that this had happened to them as well. So that made you suspect things a little bit more. But yeah, he, come, he goes on to become the heavyweight champion of the world for the very first
0: time. I'm the greatest thing to ever live. I don't have a mark on my face, yes. and I upset Sonny Liston, and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. Right. I told you. the world. I talk to God every day. If God's with me, nobody's going to be against I, I shut right. up the world. Right. Cassius. I know God. I know Cassius. the real God. Cassius, wait a minute, wait a minute, Cassius. Yes, Let me ask you this now. You told me when you visited in Los Angeles, you could do it in eight. Well, you thought Sonny and figured Sonny was great. How I come had, you did it in six or seven? I, 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 you did I it in seven. Two. I had him going in eight. I was getting ready to take him in the eighth, as you can see. But the man stopped it just to keep from making me look so great. Right. I say now, give us that poetry on number seven. He wanted to go to heaven. So i took him in seven you took him in seven i am the king of the world hold it hold it hold, I'm it. Pretty. hold it you're
2: not that pretty i'm a mad man wait, wait. i shook up the world i shook up the world, Yo, I up the world. yeah yeah and he, and he dethroned sonny liston he was an absolute beast and no one could believe it and the strange thing was that sonny liston wasn't very liked he was you know as you say he had, he had links with the mobs with the mob and uh you know, even when he fought Patterson those two fights, especially the first one, they they hated Liston. They didn't like him. So this is actually the first time when Liston came out in to to fight Clay in the first fight, they you know he actually he actually came out to to cheers for once in his career. It's it's quite weird for him. It must have been unusual for him. Um, yeah, unbelievable! Great performance from Clay, and as you say, he, he comes from the adversity with the ointment, and whether we'll, you know, we will never know, really whether it, whether it was deliberate or not. Um, and then obviously went on into the second one, which again was full of controversy because obviously we get that famous the phantom punch, and and whether um, did did he did he take a dive? I don't know. Did he? Um, I, I've watched the fight, I've seen the punch several times myself. I, it's difficult. I, I, Many people say that with that shot, I mean, I've never been caught with it, so I can't necessarily say whether it would put me down, but that, that shot just sort of near the temple, uh, sort of behind the ear, apparently can put you down like that. He did look like he went down quite easily though, didn't
0: it? Step into the world of power, loyalty.
1: yeah he did, he really did It was for me it was one of them where you look at it time and time and time again whatever angle you look at it and however you want to theorise over it, it does look very much like he took a dive in this fight and that's my honest opinion, I think he did I think he took a dive and we we kind of know even all these years down the line that there was all this shady mob stuff going on and there's so many different stories about how literally the mob had him tied up money wise all the way up until his death you know this, this, this made me think that he he was told to throw the fight, basically, in a certain round, and obviously Ali went to catch him with a with a with a shot, and it. I think it looked like it really just skimmed his whiskers, and I'm not being funny, right? But when he's on the floor and Ali sh- stood over him, shouting him, why, why would he do that? Why would why would he shout at him, telling him to get up if he knew? Yeah. You know, he'd hit him cleanly. If he felt like he'd hit him cleanly enough to knock him down, he wouldn't. He would have gone straight to the neutral corner. He didn't. That's the thing. He didn't. You watch it, and he shouts over him. And then there's the iconic picture as well that we see of him stood over Liston, shouting at him. So to me, I always feel like this was a little bit of a throne fight from from Liston's perspective, and probably because he had his hands tied with the whole mob situation. But for for obviously Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali, this was a massive moment. He he absolutely dethrones Sonny Liston two two fights in a row, beats Sonny Liston, and then this is where we go. He starts to go on this fantastic run, and we start to get some of these significant fights in his career before we get to the point where we talk about the exile and. The whole situation that happened outside of the ring. So his next fight uh, was significant because it was Floyd Patterson, former professional, former world champion. He was the youngest ever world champion, uh, twenty-one years of age before Mr. Mike Tyson came along uh, and smashed that record. Years later, uh, and just to, actually just to, to touch back on the second fight between Clay and Liston, the referee. Did you notice who it was?
2: Yes, Jerry J. J.
1: Yeah, Jersey Joe Walcott was the referee for Clay Liston 2 That was uh, crazy, absolutely crazy for that. Yeah,
2: I, you yeah. Think... It was. I mean, that's another thing that makes me think: Why did Jersey Joe officiate this fight as well? Which that that makes me think as well: This is not quite. So it's not quite right, is it? I don't think he had officiated many fights. I
1: mean, I might be wrong here. Had he? I, I don't think he had. No, I don't know how many fights he'd officiated. And I don't think I'd be able to find that information. I think that'd be difficult to find the information. Yeah. I don't know if you'd be able to find the actual information. You might be able to find some stuff on BoxRec for that. But no, I, I don't know. But it's at this point, actually, that we've not mentioned that the ch- the change of his name actually happened between the first and second fight with Liston he actually first of all changed his name from Clay to Cassius X and then decided to change it to Muhammad Ali that is when he converted to Islam uh, and affiliated himself with the Nation of Islam at this point and this is where he'd become Muhammad Ali now and this is again the legacy from here on in he's just again on, on, you know something to behold really so he beats Sonny Liston twice gets to floyd patterson beats floyd patterson you know this is uh it's quite quite a sad story with patterson because he fought patterson twice he fought patterson uh, after he'd beat sonny liston and he fought him in 1965 but he did actually go on to fight him again in 1972, but the second fight, he actually put that fight together, Muhammad Ali, to help out Floyd Patterson because Floyd Patterson was actually really, really uh, struggling at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I, and Floyd was a another. He, he was, he's a great fight. I mean, he, for his his era you know sort of the late 50s he, he was uh he was the man wasn't he? he was the heavyweight champion and as you say yeah he did he came under you know it was a bit he come from some difficult times but again that's Muhammad Ali you know he, he puts his persona out there that you know he, he's this this you know he, he sort of talks down to people and he says some inappropriate stuff but in actual fact in the background he's always doing things to try and help others and that was him all over that doesn't surprise me that he would jump and a fight just to help Patterson. And I think even in that 72 fight, I don't want to jump too far here, but I think he actually he sort of even said he prolonged the fight a little bit to you know, make it as entertaining as he could, which is just uh, typical of him. But um, I suppose, yeah, I mean, just, just one other thing we, we did touch on as well, which which I just literally slipped my mind, was um, before, before as you say, he, he did change his name. He was traveling around sort of uh, Egypt, Ghana, Nigeria, and obviously Malcolm X has been to a few of his fights as well. Um, But there was real fears as well for Ali's life when he changed his name. So, you know, there was massive fears he was going to be assassinated before and even during that Liston's fight, the second fight. So, yeah, well, I sort of went over that. We jumped on a bit too quickly. But, yeah, moving back to Patterson, I mean, again, you know, we talk about the great quotes uh, from Muhammad Ali um, and he did come up with with a beauty um, for for the Patterson fight, which was, uh, if Floyd dreamed he could beat me, he would (laughs) apologise. (laughs)
1: <laughs> typical typical Ali that isn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah it is. So we can move on then uh, and we get another heavyweight defence of his title with a very very tough George Chavalo and then he fights Henry Cooper for a second time beats Henry Cooper more emphatically in the second time around but then he comes back again to the UK after the Cooper fight, fights at Earl's Court, beats Brian London, stops him uh, and then this is sort of leading into the Ernie Terrell fight which is something I wanted to focus on. Not so much the fight but something that we've touched on in one of our previous episodes of, of ...obviously Muhammad Ali... uh, ...talking about the incident where obviously they're on telly and they're talking <laughs> like, I, I know we've covered, it, we've covered it off before in the Best Box- Boxing Brawls <laughs> episode but I can't help but not say anything about it again because it was significant really because of the fact that he was calling him Cassius Clay on live television uh, Muhammad Ali had changed his name he didn't want to just dis- be disrespected in that way and then obviously goes into the ring and absolutely takes the piss out of, of Ernie Terrell, batters him from to Post while screaming what's my name all the way from the fight so you know it was a significant (laughs) fight because it was him sort of stamping his authority about the fact he changed his name and that some people still regarded him as Cassius Clay even a lot of TV companies still regarded him as Cassius Clay and magazines as well were still calling him Cassius Clay at this point it's like they refused to accept his his conversion to Islam they refused to accept the fact that he took an Islamic name as opposed to taking his original name which he said was a slave name going back to his descendants didn't talking about the, the slave trade uh, 200, 300 years ago so obviously it was significant in his career and then moving on he goes in and fights one more time before we get to the, oh, the whole exile situation against Zorafolle, stops Zorafolle and then this is where we get the significant event which I felt like this was a very very pivotal moment in the career of Muhammad Ali, not just in his career but in his life. This was for me, you know, something that I'd have to stand up and applaud the guy for, you know, something that so many people in this day and age have, you know, their own thoughts about how government should deal with certain situations that happen in the world. And in March 1966, Ali refused to be inducted into the armed forces. And as a result, he was systematically denied he had a boxing license in every state. Stripped of his passport, uh, he didn't fight then for three years as a result of this.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, it, I mean, it was in 1966 as well when he uh, he came up with with that quote because um, obviously that you know that they were saying he was eligible for the military, the military draft, um, and he should prepare himself for service in Vietnam. And in 1966, I think it was just even just before, just after the um, Emilio fight, um, and he, that was when he said, "Man, I ain't got no quarrel." with an Viet car. Terrible American accent, I've got there, but um, Yeah, so it, it, that didn't go down too well either. Um, and then obviously, it, I, and one other thing as well, I'm sure it was like 1964. I mean, Ali actually went through um, a military exam, which is something that they all, if I'm right, I think they, it was like a mandatory thing that to do. But he was actually told that he couldn't, he wouldn't be able to join the forces because you know he wasn't he didn't he didn't pass the exam so you know two years before that you know you got these guys that, that weren't eligible because they weren't clever enough and then the next point where they're like right well you know you are clever enough you can go now so you know it it just it didn't go down great uh, obviously with what he was saying but you know it was just it was just the whole thing was he he could he see through it almost I I mean we can say that now because you know it it, it was a dreadful war and, and it was Literally, no point. in Loads of young men died for for a, 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 a crazy cause. It was just, it just didn't make no sense. But so you could, you know, we look at it now in hindsight, and we, you know, we can see what what Ali, he believed in, and, and he stood by it. And you have got to give him the utmost respect for it. Um, obviously, you know, as you say, at twenty five years old, he's stripped of his license um and you know three years out of the ring uh, it just it's just it's it's hard to believe it beggars belief really um that, that 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 he 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 was out of the ring for as long as he was at the age of 25 years old um so yeah i mean i mean even um if you talk about zara foley as well so that was the last fight i mean just just jumping off the subject but foley actually he died a mysterious uh swimming pool, incident, at just age 41 so it, it weren't just lifting that that guys of you know all these mysterious deaths this is just this is a weird time when you, you do get these crazy these crazy stories that come out um but yeah obviously it was good looking like he was gonna go down you know go prison but obviously he, he didn't do his time um, he got a $10,000 fine as well and he ended up becoming um, Jimmy Ellis's sparring partner just to keep him active uh, because obviously Jimmy Ellis and Vandulo Dundee so, and, and he kept himself busy going off to universities doing talks um, but yeah really really sad because he just don't know what, what could have happened in those three years
1: but let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast it's Bear Attack Boxing providing high quality boxing gloves boxing equipment to your suitable Needs you can find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing T-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast. We've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now it's a ten percent. Discount, and all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age, it can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, in the promo code, enter BTR10 and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your baskets. So please go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. Yeah, and one particular thing that he did during that hiatus from the ring due to him being denied a boxing licence was the super fight, Rocky Marciano and Muhammad Mm. Ali. So, what what the story is behind this one is, while he was banned from sanctioned bouts, now there was a $1 million lawsuit against a radio producer, Murray Warona, so he decided to settle this lawsuit by accepting a $10,000 fee to appear in a privately staged fantasy fight against the retired champion, Rocky Rocky Marciano. So in 1969 the boxers were filmed sparring for about 75 one minute rounds and they acted out several different ways this was going to end and and the whole thing was it was going to be a computer generated result at the end of it by all these different filmings that they'd done, all these different scenarios of how this could possibly go there And, and obviously Rocky Marciano retired an undefeated heavyweight champion of the world at 49 and 0. You know his record was was I still believe his records the original record I mean Floyd Mayweather in this day and age is 50 you know but I don't think you know it's justified 50 you know and that's reasons we'll talk about somewhere else down the line but 49 and 0 undefeated heavyweight champion of the world Muhammad Ali heavyweight champion of the world yes he was stripped of everything at this point but he was still regarded as the best on the planet and they went and did this video which was a huge deal back then because when it eventually went on to be released in 1970 it was shown in movie theatres so people were going to the movie, movies to watch this particular thing a computer simulated fight between these two who would just basically sparred a load of rounds together so there was two versions there was a USA version where Ali actually lost in a simulated 13 round knockout but there was also a European version which Marciano lost due to cuts which was also simulated so it was it's was quite funny because Ali suggested that it was quite prejudice uh when determining the defeat in the us version of it it was reported to jokingly say the computer was made in alabama so you know he was uh he was always witty he was always great at bringing out these uh these fantastic quotes but the super fight, you know i have i have actually watched it the super fight. i have actually sat down and watched the super fight. i've got to be honest it's it's not great, <laughs> I'm not going to lie because it's 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 made in an era where technology was totally different than what we're all spoiled with today, but just the respect, man, the respect these two guys had doing all these rounds together for the for this simulated fantasy fight, and obviously Marciano would eventually go on to pass away in a plane crash in, I think it was 1969, I'm pretty sure it was the same year actually that they, they filmed it, because I remember that he, he wasn't alive when the super fight was actually released so which was 1970 he died in a plane crash so he never ended up getting to see it unfortunately but obviously people who were fans of Marciano from the generation just past you know they all wanted to see it they all wanted to see old old guard against new guard and it was a big thing it was a really big thing about then
2: 18 plus yeah it was uh, and, and i've I watched it and, and it, it is it is pretty bad i mean it, it depends what your uh, standard is if you know if you go into it and you watch it if you don't watch it and yes you, you know you think it's not going to be great you're actually quite pleasantly surprised um i actually really think it's worse than it was so you know if anyone wants to watch it you know i'd recommend that you know you could watch it and um it, it's quite a good fun you know it's all tongue-in-cheek at the end of the day you know it would have been great to have actually seen ali uh, you know uh, against their uh, rocky but um no, it wasn't to be, obviously. It was a bit of uh, different eras. But, yeah, it, you know, it was a bit of fun, wasn't it? It kept him busy. Yeah, none of that. It gave him some money in his pocket because, you know, he weren't getting no money. anyway. he was actually getting any money was sparring Jimmy Ellis and, obviously, uh, uh, doing this little... This little super fight uh, movie thing, so you know, it kept him busy. Um, and obviously, as as you know, as we moved into sort of the last year, I think it was like by about sort of what 1969, sort of when the when they were probably doing the super fight, that that sort of you know public pers- sort of I you know what people felt about the Vietnam War, they felt that actually the you know Ali's probably right here, so it was inevitable that. Sort when of that last year he was going to return, and obviously at that time it was it was Joe frazier Joe frazier was uh, picked up the title, I believe, for Jimmy Ellis. I think he was sixty nine, or it may have been seventy. Uh, might have been 70 actually. But um yeah, and he, Ellis had beaten Quarry to win his version. I think it was a WBA, and and the WBC was vacant, and then they put the WBC in the line to uh, unify. And obviously, Frazier was the unified champion. Um, Obviously, everybody at the time was saying, Mary Ali is the true champion, Joe Frazier isn't. So it was building lovely, bubbling nicely for when inevitably they were to share a ring a year later.
1: Yeah, the fight of the century. That's the one. One of the greatest fights you'll ever see in boxing history yeah. and one that, if you've not already seen it, you should go and watch it. Unfortunately, it's not one that's come up in Legendary Nights yet. We have actually done the third fight, the Thriller in Manila, but we've not done the fight of the century as yet with Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. And it is one I will look forward to to sitting down and breaking down in full later on down the line. But this was the start of, of what was an epic rivalry, an epic trilogy of fights. And, you know, this... this This, this for me, sort of defined that era and that legacy of, of, of Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier because after this, you know, there was never not going to be a second and a third. I've said this before in the Legendary Knights episodes that this was always meant to be. It was always, as well, soon as these two guys met, it was just such disdain for each other. You know, it turned from friendship to, 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 to anger to all the different mixed emotions you could possibly go through with these two fighters. And uh, it was great because obviously Ali was coming off the back of a few wins as well so bearing in mind he'd been out for three years he beat Jerry Quarry, he beat Oscar Bonavina and then he got his shot at Joe Frazier in early 1971. Now this was where you're thinking to yourself You know, Ali's going to come back, Ali's going to go on and beat Joe Frazier, he's not the real champion, blah blah blah, but the fight itself, amazing fight, brilliant fight, we're not going to do a play-by-play of it of course, but absolutely amazing fight, Joe Frazier ends up decking Muhammad Ali in this fight and goes on to win uh, a 15 round unanimous decision to defend his titles and yeah it was a bit of a humbling, I think, for Muhammad Ali, this fight.
2: Oh, definitely it was. It was, um, I think he took it too early, personally, when you look at it. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jerry Quarry and Oscar Benavino were two two tough fights to come back after a three-year exile. I mean, you know, I mean, we look at Tyson Fury now, I mean, he had a couple of warm-up fights and went into the wild fight, which he done well, but then he's had the two sort of low-key fights after that. Um, you know, Ali wanted to get straight in. He, you know, he didn't want to waste any time and Frazier was a, was a dominant champion and, and he, I tell you what, if anyone, if anyone don't believe that Joe Frazier's got probably the best left hook in boxing, then ever uh, watch of this fight because the amount of times he lands his left hook on Ali is ridiculous. And also credit to Ali for taking those straight back left hooks and it didn't take. He actually took it to the fifteenth round. And he actually put it down on his ass. So you know this was this was a brilliant fight to fight. Of the century. I mean, just just everything about. I mean, the nineteen seventies. The times so he had all the colors and he had all. All the stars had come out, and you know you had some massive names at ringside. It, it just looked, you know, it looked brilliant to look at when you actually watch it in colour, and you you can actually rather than just watch the fight, you can actually see like a bit of the build up and stuff. It, it's brilliant to watch. I, I, I think most of it is on YouTube, if I remember rightly. But that one was on my DVD. I've got somewhere stashed away, but it, excellent, it really was. And and both fighters, they you know they earned two point five million, which is the most any fighter had ever earned by a mile. Um, so this you know it just shows it was it was everywhere it was the it fight of the century for a reason it, it just had everything about it it was just amazing not just the fight but just just the whole thing you can get caught up in it just watching it back on, on DVD so yeah I was really you know Fraser, I'm glad in a way he won it. I mean, this is probably the, the biggest biggest victory of Fraser's career, and um, and it was a humbling for Ali, as you say.
1: Yeah, definitely was a humbling for him. It's funny because then obviously after the uh, the, the loss of Fraser, in 1971, he was actually going to end up fighting Wilt Chamberlain, who's huge, you know, mega. Basketball star over in America, great basketball player in in basketball history over there. He actually challenged Ali to a fight, and it was actually scheduled in for July the twenty sixth of nineteen seventy one. And obviously, basketball players huge. This guy was seven foot two. He had absolute all the advantages over Ali: sixty pounds every year, fourteen inch wrench difference between the two of them, and Ali, with his mind games, his mental mind games, was actually able to influence Chamberlain to call him off the bout. He was taunting him, saying things like, Timber, and the tree will fall <laughs> during, a, during a shared interview with the, between the two of them. Uh, so eventually, what they had to do is they had to then get in former par- sparring partner, Jimmy Ellis, to step in for that fight. So he ended up fighting Jimmy Ellis and beating Jimmy Ellis on that date uh, instead of fighting Will Chamberlain. Which I thought was quite a, a, a funny story, you know, reading back on, on that. And I can't imagine what that would have been like back That must have been like the equivalent of Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. But, you know, Conor McGregor at least had some sort of martial arts and, and fighting experience, whereas Wilt Chamberlain was a basketball player. So I can't even imagine and begin to imagine what that sort of debacle was like back then. Imagine, imagine that in this day and age. I think people would be like, what the hell is this charade?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I see I did see the photo and I I, I did hear what you said about that always makes me laugh and the size difference is <laughs> 'cause I remember walking through the door and I remember to Ben Dan to get through this door, which is hilarious. But yeah, I mean, he, he literally within ten minutes he's like, Yeah, I I ain't I ain't gonna fight this guy 'cause he just it's gonna ruin him before he even steps in the ring, bless him but yeah, it's just that's just all, all over, just these great little stories, I mean, the other thing as well, um, which I mentioned, was, was following the, the uh, phrase, to Actually, that was when Deer Lake in, in Pennsylvania. That's when he relocated out there. It was in the log cabins, and he had fresh water and fresh food. He was sort of went back to basics. Um, he actually had a couple of rocks. As well, he had like a a black rock that he called Jack Johnson. Then he had like a white rock that he called Rocky Marciano, and then he had sort of brown rock which he called Joe Lewis so he's, and he's painted he actually painted their names on them as well and he was sort of there's, there's videos and footage of him sort of in the log cabins and cutting trees down and, and some, you know if anyone watched Arlie would be sparring sort of from this point on, he's always at Deer Lake and uh, he always he gets all all his interviews and he's messing about in the ring and uh, yeah just that. so he obviously felt that he needed to go back to come away from all the sort of the city and the bright lights from what what we see at the fight of the century to to just going back to basics and, and it helped him because he had, he went on a fantastic run Compared to Joe Fraser, I mean, man, the amount of fights so he yeah, had, I think he had sort of, was it, there were like, was it, one, two, three, four, five, six, almost like 10, 13 fights in, in within sort of like a year, two years,
1: was it? Yeah, it was. It was quite a few fights before he ended up back in with uh, with Joe Fraser again. But on the way to, to fighting Joe Fraser again, he fought Floyd Patterson, as we spoke about earlier, in the second fight to help Joe pa- uh, Floyd Patterson out. <laughs> and then he beat Joe Bogner. Then he lost to Ken Norton, which I think was significant because obviously that was a, a big fight for him. He fought Ken. Ken. Ken Norton lost to Ken Norton, and then beat him in the return fight. And then moved on to fight Rudy Lubbers, uh, which was actually in Jakarta. So this is where he started to sort of go abroad, start fighting in obviously all these different countries, and you know that's where the the sort of the global superstardom from um, from Ali was, was starting to to really come to the forefront and he was sort of paving the way for what was to come in a couple of years time so then we get the second fight with Joe Fraser which he actually beats Joe Fraser in the second fight and we, we, we've we said before the second fight is probably the, th- there's no worse really there's no worse of the three but if you're going to label best to worst in terms of quality and, and excitement I think the second fight between the two of them was down there as number three for me I don't know the huge significant part in his career when he failed. Based off against George Foreman, the Rumble in the Jungle.
2: Yeah, um, it, I mean, he was underdog in the list fight, and boy, was he underdog against George Foreman, who had absolutely destroyed Joe Frazier in what two rounds was it? Um, absolutely, just battered him around the ring in Jamaica um, until this, you know, it, it, the Rumble in the Jungle. Um, it, nobody give him a chance I mean you watch the footage of George Foreman just smashing that every bag and almost putting a hole in it that you know it, you could see why I mean it, it was just unreal what, what this this guy when you talk about Liston was a monster Foreman was an absolute monster I mean I think someone mentioned about a, a, a great fight between Foreman and Tyson I mean what a fantasy fight that would have been I mean them two in the ring would have been ridiculous wouldn't it but Foreman was a beast he really was and, and I'm not surprised Ali went in the way he did um sort of the complete underdog but once again you know that's what he does he he's just a great fighter you know as he said ali fights great he's got speed and endurance if you decide to fight him increase your insurance and uh, that, <laughs> is exactly, that is exactly that is just ali my favorite quote then um, they got five million dollars each um and sixty-six thousand in attendance you know, the whole crowd singing Ale Bumbaye, um, the famous Roper, dope. it was just amazing. Um, and, and foreman who would have thought it, that, that who in their right mind would stand there and take a beating from George Foreman and t- try to tire him out to then finish him off in the eighth round? I mean, it's just, you just can't think of anything as ridiculous. But, but he pulls it off because that's Mohamed Ali and that's what he does. And, and it's just a great, great fight in Zaire and, and one... That will always, you know, you'd always throw. And if you ever want to watch a fight, stick this one on because it's an absolute belter.
1: It was a belt. I really, really enjoyed that particular fight. It's one that we've covered for Legendary Nights as well, so if you've not already listened to that particular episode for the Legendary Nights series, go and check that one out. We've covered the Rumble in the Jungle. That has been done before. <laughs> so if you want a more detailed breakdown of this fight, incidents leading up to the fight, go and check out that particular episode. But I agree. Great performance, great win from him against all odds. And that's where people start to regard him again as the best in the world, the greatest, you know, already talk of this at this point I think you know the way he'd come back from all the adverse things that had happened in his career inside and outside the ring to go on to do this was absolutely amazing when nobody gave him a chance in hell to beat him and then he just went on a nice little run again didn't he He beat Chuck Wepner, Ron Lyle, Joe Buckner again before we get the third fight with fraser the most significant one the thriller in manila it's one we've covered quite recently at legendary night so please if you've not already checked the legendary night series out again i must stress go and check it out because we've got a full breakdown of this particular fight the build-up and the aftermath of it but this was a, a brilliant fight and you know a brilliant win for him as well it was a very grueling fight and i think this fight for me was the one that sort of I think they both of them left a piece of themselves in the
2: ring that night. Absolutely, I, you, I can't even agree with you more, mate. It was just a, a brutal fight, and and as you say, you know, we, we've covered it in the legendary night series because you know it, it, I'm not surprised eventually that was going to come up. It is one of the greatest fights i have ever seen, and and they both were outstanding that night, and you know credit to the pair of them. But what what a great fight, An absolute brilliant fight, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, Arnie went on and, and
0: Fraser, obviously you
2: know, he was already after that fight from France to declined and obviously Ali managed to carry on which, which is sort of unbelievable really because after what you've already been through and, and that fight particularly you're sort of thinking maybe it's time to call it a day but no nope, Ali
1: just wanted to keep going. He did, he did want to keep going and obviously he went on and he had more fights in his career. We had fights with Jimmy Young, we had fights with Ken Norton, and Ernie Shavers, one of the hardest punchers in heavyweight boxing history and actually, you know, a lot of people do regard him as one of the top pound-for-pound punchers in boxing history as well. But interestingly enough, outside of the ring, his celebrity status was huge at this point. We were talking about the Walt Johnson situation earlier on. He was actually <laughs> in 1976, twice in the space of a month he was involved in different promotional things that were completely different from what he was used to, so June the 1st 1976, Ali removed his shirt and jacket and confronted professional wrestler Gorilla Monsoon in the, in the ring after his match at a WWWF show in the Philadelphia arena, after dodging a few punches, Monsoon put Ali in an aeroplane spin, dumped him to the mat Ali stumbled to the corner where his associate Butch Davis convinced him to walk away, so obviously we know it was all stage. It was all a celebrity thing. Muhammad Ali is one of the biggest guys on the planet at this point in time so, you know, the WWF or WWE as it's known now wanted to get him on board to obviously boost up their ratings which was something they would go on to do a few times uh, with boxers. So, this was one thing that he did. And the second thing that he did in June of that year, he actually participated in an exhibition bout against Japanese professional wrestler and martial arts artist Antonio Inoki. And this was a really, really strange one because this definitely was the original Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather because this was a guy who knew martial arts against a boxer in Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali actually only landed... Two jabs, well, Inoki's kicks actually caused two blood clots and an infection, which nearly resulted in Muhammad Ali losing his leg. Which is something I never knew about before doing the research for this particular episode of the podcast. I was like, I knew that he'd had this sort of exhibition bout with uh, with a professional wrestler, but I didn't realise it, it ended up being that serious.
2: No, I didn't. I, you know, I've watched. It, I thought it was absolutely pathetic. I thought, what the hell was this? Uh, I found the uh, Trevor Burbick uh, experience in Japan a lot more fun when uh, he, he, he didn't want to get kicked and the guy just kept kicking him. <laughs> he ended up walking out the ring. I thought that was much more fun than, than this sort of guy just sort of laying around on the floor, sort of kicking at Ali. But obviously, you know, <laughs> I, did, I didn't know that. That's That's. that's... That's uh, I, I didn't know that at all. So that's a tell up for the books. But um, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well I mean, that, again, probably that shows what he's going through. I mean, he, he, all the moving around, you know, all the moving about he did, and using his legs, and had that great footwork. It was obviously starting to take its toll, then, obviously, with all these fights, and and eventually just something so silly like that a guy kicking you in the legs and a step that you could actually have the take I mean that's that's madness that's unbelievable but yeah I mean it, it just adds to to the Arlie story
1: it really does add to the story and as we get into 1977 as I talked about him fighting Ernie Shavers he managed to beat Ernie Shavers very very tough fight for him that. and I think at this point of his career, when you watch through the majority of his fights and you start to watch the fights at the latter end, it's where it starts to become a little bit concerning because he's not the same Ali 10 years before. Obviously, age picks up with everybody, but you know the movement wasn't as good as it once was or wasn't as fast as he once was. He was catching more shots than he did before and against a guy like Ernie Shavers, you know that was a very grueling fight for him to be involved in. And then a year later, or well, just a few months later in nineteen seventy he fought seven fight novice Leon Spinks and lost to Leon Spinks which was considered one of the greatest upsets in boxing history at that moment in time
2: yeah that that was a shocking one um, I think uh if I remember rightly, I think it was looking like he was going to fight home. Then I believe that's what it was, hoped for, or even a Shavers rematch, um, but never um, materialised. And then, um, oh, actually, it might have been Norton for the third one if I remember rightly. But in the end, he went for Sphinx, um and obviously, I think it was a bit of a. It was one of them ones where I think they felt, you know, he's a novice. You know, all right, he's, he, you know, he's coming out. He's I think, got a gold medal, didn't he? So it was like, a, well, would it be an easy defence? And then when you look. We actually watched the fight. I mean, he looked really old and tired. Um, saying that, it was still actually quite close. But when you actually see Gleon, Spinks unloaded on him. You're sort of thinking, oh, this is just... You no, know, this ain't the Ali that we've seen. Um, and obviously, he's, he's slowly starting to deteriorate at this point. But, you know, credit to Ali again. Um, he ends up coming back. Um, same year September 15 1978 and decides going to take on Sphinx again and this time he does win the fight and he wins by a unanimous decision um, and it's hard to believe that Ali could actually beat Sphinx after watching that third that first fight and you sort of thinking goodness me uh, how has he managed to do that in the in, in the condition he was in um, and he also became the only man in history to win world heavyweight title three times so you know he made history and surely that was it now surely this is the point i mean for, for me I. Still feel after the, Fras- the first Fraser fight, he should have called it a day. Um, I think even when he sort of just asked the, the uh, Fraser fight that like Jimmy Ellis, that was a poor fight for me. And um, I don't know, it just didn't, uh, or the Jimmy Young fight, so it was a couple of fights later. The, the Jimmy Young fight, it looked just, it, it didn't look right for me. Um, so I think it should have just been the Fraser fight that should have been it. But, you know, all right, or even the Ken Norton fight. I'm jumping in, but you know, Ken Norton maybe winning it, you know, the third fight. But you could see there was something not quite right, even though he beat Spinks. And then obviously, you move on to the Holmes and Burbick fights, which were just tragic.
1: Yeah, they were really, really tragic. After he beat Spinks, and as you say, it made him the first heavyweight champion to win the belt three times. On july twenty seventh, nineteen seventy nine, he actually announced his retirement from boxing. And it's at that point where obviously if you must have been a fan back then, you must have been cheering, thinking, Yes, we need him to you know, we need him to retire now. We don't wanna see him get hurt, we don't wanna see him get, you know, uh, convincingly beaten but Unfortunately, the the you know the temptation of coming back to the ring, like any boxer in any day and age, is is so tempting. Especially with a guy like I, Ali, who was so charismatic, so you know what what you know the greatest, isn't he? This is it. Let's be honest. We we consider him to be the greatest for various reasons, and he just couldn't stay away from the ring. And that was the hard part of, about this 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 end of his career. Really, was that he went in there to to, to face Larry Holmes for the WBC title. So he wanted to go for the world title for an unprecedented fourth time. So Ali's motivation for this was money. It was as simple as that. He was motivated to get money out of this fight. And boxing writer Richie Gianetti said, Larry didn't want to fight Ali. He knew Ali had nothing left and he knew it would be a horror. And it was. It was horrible and I remember the interview, it was either the interview before the Holmes fight or the interview before the Burbank fight where he sat in what looks like a throne with a pair of shades on and he's talking and he's, he's, he's storing a little bit with his words and he's he's not speaking clearly and he's he, he's like punch drunk that's what he was like in this interview and it's dead sad to watch and you know the amount of times you go back and look at the different documentaries that include this interview or even on YouTube it's so sad to watch it's like you know somebody's suffering at this point you know somebody's clearly you know struggling why let them go into the ring again I don't understand why the people around him did let him go on to fight again, something that we'll, we'll never truly understand ourselves, but it's so difficult to watch because Larry Holmes obviously, you know, actually did a number on him, you know, it was so sad like yeah. to, to watch that particular fight and really, really upsetting as as, as a guy you know, who, who's been an Ali fan all the way since he was born and Ali obviously had way finished his career when I was born, so you know, watching his career and watching him as a fight fan, it was really, really sad to watch the demise of him really as a fight to you know, really, really struggling against you know Larry Holmes, and, and, and yeah, he was just horrible to watch. Again, it's just one of them things where you think to yourself, you know, just just quit now, just call it a day, just call it a day.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, if if I remember rightly, Angelo Dundee was. Um Saying he was trying to tell him to not do the fight, and then Ali was adamant he wanted to do it. And Dudley and sort of felt that you know what, even if even if um, I'm not in his corner, I say look, I'm going to walk away. He's someone's going to give him the fight. You know, you know what these people are like. You know, you still get them today. You know, you get these you, absolute pigs that just want to earn some money. And if you can stick Ali against anybody, even the, the situation you know in the condition he was in people will pay to watch it and and, uh, and that's what it is, money talk. So I think Andrew Dundee said, look, I'd rather be with him than, than not be there at all uh, because if anything does go wrong, I, I feel like I can I can step in and, and do something. So, but yeah, I mean, Larry Holmes, he was his sparring, uh, sparring partner when he was like 18 years old. I think it was just, I think it was around the Norton fight, the very first Norton fight that he came in um, and, um, uh, it was either that or it might have been the Fraser fight. I can't quite remember, but um, he came in as a sparring partner, young lad and um, so it, it was a massive, massive deal for him. And, and if anyone recalls it, he was, you know, he was really upset after the fight, wasn't he? Because he, he just, he just couldn't believe he just kept sort of hitting him, and it's, it's just nothing coming back, and it. It saddened him to, to to just see Ali in in the condition he was in. And, and to go on and fight Berbic, I mean, Trevor Berbic, that's his claim to fame for me. I mean, Berbic will always be remembered to be a guy that, that beat Muhammad Ali. But that Ali, was that was even worse than, than the home fight. And I think at that point, it was becoming very distasteful. And even no matter how much money you throw at another Ali fight, I don't think anyone would have actually watched it. I think people would have. Probably protested against him ever stepping in the ring again, and um, I'm sure all the major boxing organisations. I, I, I can't think anyone would have wanted to grant him another fight after that Berbic fight because that was that was awful. And I, in actual fact, I think I've watched about two rounds of that Berbic fight, and I've turned it off. I don't think I've ever watched the whole fight. I can't come to terms with actually seeing Ali that way. Um, and, and as you say, that that famous thing he was there with the glasses in it you can see he's just, you know, it's not right. You know, he's not right at all. And, um, and thankfully, that was it. And I, I, I'm pleased that that was it in the end. Um, and he managed to just he managed to live live, live on and do still do,
1: do some fantastic things he did he did but the 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 issue was obviously the parkinson's the, the you know there's a lot of people uh, and experts that say that it was at the point when he fought Larry Holmes that he really developed the onset of parkinson's syndrome and so essentially he was going in fighting Trevor Burbeck with parkinson's disease basically which you know it's it's an horrible disease for anybody to have it's a motor neuron disease so it basically basically affects your, your whole body, your ability, your mobility, your ability to speak. And obviously, as we've seen later on down the line with Ali, you know, how bad he was shaking and, you know, he could hardly speak. And, 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 and he was just such a brave man to, to to suffer with it from all them years, to be honest with you, uh, as he did. By the end of his boxing career, it was estimated that Ali had absorbed over 200,000 punches in his career. Now, that's a hell of a lot of punches to have absorbed.
2: Wow, wow. That's unbelievable! Oh my goodness, mate! That shows. I mean, it, it just shows you how brutal boxing is. Uh, that's that's impressive. Uh, you say now, I, I actually did a bit of maths, um, and I had uh, Ali Dan. now my maths ain't brilliant, so uh, bear with me. But um, so I might be slightly out. But Ali fought 548 rounds in 61 fights, which was exactly 1,600. 66- Five hundred and sixty-one minute, um, which was just over twenty-six hours in the ring, wow. <laughs> which is just a crazy. So you saying that it's all in punches and best. I mean, there are there obviously guys in longer careers, but you know, for Ferrari as a heavyweight to have accumulated that amount of fights and all them big fights is. This same time it was just uh, incredible it really
1: was I think we're going to talk about the stuff that happened outside of his career now I think what we need to do is, yeah. is focus on some of the stuff that happened outside of his career because we've talked a lot about what happened inside the ring it's what happened outside the ring that I think transcended him as a man and why probably people still consider him to be the greatest us guys like Sugar Ray Robinson you know in terms of an overall package not just a fighter in the ring if you're judging someone inside and outside the ring I well, he topped them all because of the man he was, and it's just stories of, of some of the things that he, you know, that he had to do. And I think there's one story that that sticks out in my mind, and there's quite a few of them. In 1984, Ali his support for the re-election of United States President Ronald Reagan. Uh, when asked. To elaborate on his endorsement of Reagan, Ali told the reporters he's keeping God in schools and that's enough. In 1985, he visited Israel to request the release of Muslim prisoners at a detainee camp, which Israel initially declined. And then I think it was the 1991 that was really significant for me in 1990 he traveled to iraq this was prior to the gulf war by the way and he actually met with saddam hussein in an attempt to negotiate the release of american hostages ali actually secured the release of all the hostages in exchange for promising a saying that he would bring america an honest account of iraq and that alone for me is, is part of why people love him the fact that he was able to go over there to Saddam Hussein he was obviously known as the dictator and a guy that was known as an evil person in a majority of the people's minds and had this sort of stronghold over the country and the way he ran the country all the way up until his death. This was a guy who was just a boxer. This was a guy who's been in the ring, and the reputation outside of the ring had preceded him. he was able to go over to a hostile country like that, be welcomed with open arms, and then actually negotiate the release of hostages. Wow, oh, you know that—that's a story in its own. That's just something that that made him the man he was.
2: Oh, that's that's—I mean, that's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, the way he was able to use his—you know—that that his sporting. He's a sporting icon, and the way he was able to use that uh, for the good, because he—that's what he, you know. I believe that was the sort of person he was. he he, he came from, uh, you know, it was—it was—it was a basic upbringing. Um, it wasn't a terrible upbringing of any sorts, but it was a comfortable, but um, upbringing. But you know, he—he he always made sure that. When he did get to the point where he, you know, where he was at, he was able to help people. And he always did. He was always, always, you know, know, the footage you ever see, you know, he he was always about to do magic magic tricks with with the kids, didn't he? When they had to go and watch him, sort of sparring, um, you know, obviously the torch, you know, at the Olympics as well was a big thing. He also done the Winter Olympics as well in two thousand and two. He, he he lit the torch there and and yeah, I mean as you say, I mean that's that's incredible. I, I, I I've never heard that story, so uh, that that just makes yeah again. You know, you do the one thing with is you do find out other little bits, you know, bits and pieces that you didn't know, and you know that that's enlightening to to hear that, and just shows you again just. As you, as you rightly said, there, Sean, that this guy is the greatest because of what he's done in and outside the ring, um, and and that's what makes him so great, and and just such a great person to to watch uh, and to to just discuss and talk about. Well, I mean, what an amazing fighter and what an amazing guy. The
1: 1996 Olympics as well, when he actually came in and lit the uh, well, took the, the the lit torch and basically opened the olympic games was was a huge thing as well because obviously it was watched mm. by i think it was something ridiculous like 3.5 billion people across the world and muhammad ali obviously full of full of his parkinson's at the time struggling to get it there but managed to get it there it was quite an iconic moment which you know he's seen in quite a few of the documentaries that have been made about him and you know even even well after that he was still involved in all sorts of different projects and it was uh, it was it was quite quite amazing to see how you know he was able to to, to Still be involved in so much uh, as as much as he possibly could be all the way up until the end, really. And I think that's uh, I think that's what a lot of people had uh, total respect for him for was not just everything he did inside the ring, it's everything he did outside the ring as well. And I think for me, that's that's what kind of made him uh, like, like people say the greatest because of everything he was able to do inside and outside of the ring, and all the different stories and all the humanitarian work that he did outside of the ring was was amazing. And you know when he when he actually passed away in two thousand and sixteen, there was people lining the streets up and down the coverage over on the tv networks worldwide was was absolutely re, you know ridiculous literally every channel was was just ali everything was about ali there was not a channel that didn't have it on here in the uk and obviously in the usa they have a lot more channels so you know it was on every channel and they had pallbearers including will smith lennox lewis mike tyson with honorary pallbearers uh chavalo larry holmes and george foreman you know all the former opponents of him and that was just basically the respect that he commanded as a man throughout all of the years and you know it was quite quite a sad moment for for boxing and he was iconic weren't he
2: yeah yeah really well i mean you even said that the, the relationship he built with henry cooper and obviously when uh when he went into hall did he go out i don't think it was the hall of fame i don't know if he was it was being inducted or if he had already been inducted and there was something else going on but i, now I do remember watching the news and seeing henry cooper and married ali in the back of the uh convertible and and he just he had he had a great respect for for, for england as well when he came to for britain in general when he came over during the uh, the exile and um, just before it um, especially when with the henry cooper and he had, there was a guy um i do i can't think what it was what documentary was i did see something but um there was a guy over in i'm not sure where he lived or what part of england it was but he just he he felt I think he just went in for a cup of tea with his geezer just some random fan and um, and he was really humbled by how we treated him um, compared to how he was being treated in America so he always had a love for England or I keep saying but for Britain in general and and this guy that that he had met and he had had a cup of tea with, he actually came back again a few years later and went straight knocked on his door and went for another cup of tea. And then there's famous pictures of, his, of him in there and he's uh, sort of taking some shots and sitting down having a cup of tea and just taking some shots of him holding his vips up. And and again, I mean, that's just, that is just Brilliant, isn't it? I mean, that 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 guy must you know it must, must that's just amazing for him. and um, he didn't have social media like he did back then. like that like he do now today. Sorry, so yeah, another little story there where he just it just struck up friendships with random people. It Doesn't matter where you are, what background you, whatever wherever you come from, it, it didn't matter to him. And that 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 was that that is just Ali all over. And you know that's that's just great. And and it's just again, I mean, it's just he's just an amazing person and, and, and a great fighter and just one that you won't ever see again. You know, you get these people in a lot of whether it be luck like an insane bolt in athletics or uh, I can't think of anyone else to mention a minute. But um, these guys are just—they they like epic proportions. They like you know—they're beyond the sport. They and they transcend themselves beyond the sport with the stuff they do outside the ring as well. So yeah, it's just—it's brilliant um, and, and a great, great, great one to start with for for the career profiles it
1: is a great one to start with for the career profiles i've really really enjoyed going through it and i know we you know we've had to skim over a lot of detail really because there is hell of a lot of other information that we could sit here and talk about with ali and like i said to you off air we could be here for three four hours at a time recording a podcast and i don't think people are going to want to sit here for three and four hours and listening listen to us as much (laughs) as they might love listening to our podcast they might not want to listen to us for four hours talk about the ins and outs of muhammad ali Especially, obviously, when it's is widely available with all the different documentaries, we just wanted to give our interpretation of Ali about his career, about what we think of him, about what he did inside and outside of the ring, and and give our career profile of Muhammad Ali. And I think we've we've done we've done a really really good job, I think. And I think I've really enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed speaking about Muhammad Ali because, as you can probably tell by both listening to myself and Johnston, you know, we're really passionate about the sport, we really love the sport, and this is a guy that's trans it, and you know you can never go anywhere without asking someone who Muhammad Ali is, and they not know who he is. That is just telling yeah, you exactly. how. That just tells you how much the man transcended the sport for me. You go somewhere and you say, "Oh, do you know Muhammad Ali?" Yeah, that that's it. If you're able to do that, yeah. and 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 you know get that response from somebody. Then that just goes to show you that you know the legacy the man's left behind, especially even for the younger kids of today. Who's you know we was born past his era, and there's kids that are now. You know, growing up in the teens looking at Muhammad Ali as this absolute idol and watching his fights on YouTube and you know that that is it and that is that is the legacy he's left behind and that legacy I don't think will ever die and that is that's the beauty of of what he did and what you know he did for this sport and what he did for not just the sport but for the whole movement of, of, of black people the whole movement of civil rights everything you know everything he'd you know, it was for me was was always a meaning behind it, there was always a reason behind it and it's one of them like I said at the start of the episode really, if you could have sat down with somebody, you know, on a table for half an hour, I think nine times out of ten most people would have picked someone like Muhammad Ali, especially a boxing fan. If you're a boxing fan, if you would have wanted to have sit down with a fighter past present, Muhammad Ali's the one. There's nobody else. That, that, that's, that That's what it means to me. That's how I see it, and that's mm-hmm. how I see most people's interpretation of it. We put posts out, who's the greatest fighter of all time, or who should be on the the mountain r- rushmore of boxers. Muhammad Ali, always up there.
2: Always, always. He, he was just... You know, as you say, people that don't even know boxing, they know about Muhammad Ali because of what he done outside the ring as well as inside it. Um, and you know his political views at at times people didn't agree with, um, and he stuck by him. He stood by him, um, and and he didn't. It actually made him more of a. a, 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 a a man if you like it's just, just the way he carried himself in his interviews during his exile um and, and it was rubbing people up the wrong way at times but he didn't care and he kept down with it he was getting as, as, as we mentioned you know when he just changed his name i mean the guy's just changing his name and people were threatening to kill him those were the era. that was that was a really terrible tough era to be around especially for a, a, a black guy sort of in 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 the spotlight um and as you know like, a sort of disrespect for Patterson, but for Patterson was was that guy that they they expected everybody to be like, you know, and, and he didn't fit that mould. He he wasn't gonna do that, and, and that was that that's that's, that's great, and that's and that's what he's able. You could the you, young kids can look at Ahmed Ali today, and you know, there's nothing wrong with going against the grain. Sometimes, if you don't agree with something and you really believe strongly enough that actually, you know, I'm right. There's nothing wrong with sticking by it just because everybody else is against you, just stand by it. You know, eventually people will follow and people will understand and people will agree with you at times. Sometimes you might not even be right at the end of it, but to have that, ability about you and to to stand there and say do you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna stick by what i agree and, and and this is what it's gonna this is you know whatever happens happens this is what i believe and that's what he did and i think that is a massive part of it and then from that point people loved him and adored him even more and then you know what he'd done in the ring was was amazing and then obviously beyond that and what he's done and what you've mentioned there going again and getting american prisoners released i mean that's just That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's that's just unbelievable. So, yeah, for for any young kid who's just seen the thriller of Melilla and the the rumble in the jungle, go and watch some more of his fights, go and watch his interviews, and you could spend a whole day watching Muhammad Ali. I've done it before. I've done it several times because he's just that type of guy, and you could listen to him all day long, and I could. quite quite easily, to be fair, because he was just amazing, amazing person and a great fighter.
1: Certainly was, and it's been an absolute pleasure covering this episode and the first of the series in career profiles. If you've enjoyed it, please let us know. If you feel there's any amendments we can do to make it better, please let us know. If you didn't like it, also let us know. We want to make things better for you guys, the listeners. We want to give you (laughs) great content to listen to while you're sat there typing away on your keyboards at work, or you've got that long drive to somewhere where you need to go or that long bus ride whatever it is we want to be there to provide you all this quality boxing content so any feedback is really really appreciated it allows us then to work on new ideas new things like this so Career Profiles if you enjoyed it let us know we're going to be putting polls out every week for the Career Profile series we're going to be picking some of the greatest fighters of all time and we're going to be doing what we've done tonight which is Career Profile and let's talk about the fights that it was in significant action. Significant actions inside and outside of the ring whether they were good actions whether they were bad actions we're going to cover it all johnston been a pleasure really enjoyed it
2: same here mate it really has been a pleasure and uh, look forward to the power and see who we get next.
1: Yeah, definitely. So guys, please, as always, go and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook as well. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think about the podcast in general. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, go on any of the good podcasting apps out there and rate us on there. Subscribe to us. We really, really appreciate all the support and the love that we get from all you listeners out there. And this was it. This was the Career profile of the greatest Muhammad Ali
0: he would come to the gym and if a, he didn't get a ride to the gym he didn't have no car he would run he would run across the causeway Muhammad Ali one of my great heroes had a great line in the 70s when he was asked how many sit-ups do you do he said I don't count my sit-ups I only start counting when it starts hurting when I feel pain that's when I start counting because that's when it really counts That's what makes you a champion. Jerry, I'm the greatest fighter that ever stepped foot in the ring. Money will be lost that night. This will be the biggest upset in the century of all boxing. I think you're a big bag of wind. Damnedest showman that ever lived, and you ain't kidding anybody. The odds are seven to one. It's very big odds for a heavyweight championship fight has to be Liston. Liston is a much bigger puncher. Well, these big mouth people talking about I talk too much. Well, I want all of them to be there, and I'm going to shut up all of his mouth. And Cassius Clay has won after six rounds. Cassius is not my name no more. You want to keep calling me a white man's name? I'm not white. But he needs to scream at Terrell. He beat the hell out of those who didn't want to use his name. Mr. Muhammad Ali has just refused to be inducted into the United States Armed Forces. I'm just about broke. I'm not allowed to work here now in America. I'm gonna fight, not for me, but to uplift my little brothers so who are sleeping in the concrete floors today in America. They want to be famous, they're people. It's a wonderful, wonderful. I'm gonna float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. George can't hit what his eyes can't see. All of you chunks are gonna bow when I whoop him. All of you, I know you got him. I know you got him, Dick. But the man's in cover. I'm going to show you how great I am. Bluffed him. i done everything. Beat him up basically for about five or six rounds. I thought it was easy. Then about the sixth round, he whispered in my ear. Outside, hit him in the side. Then all you got, George? And never talk about who's going to stop me. Well, ain't nobody going to stop me. I must be the greatest. I, I took up, 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 up the world. I took up the world. I told you, all of my critics, that I was the greatest of all time. He who is not courageous enough to take risks or accomplish nothing in life. you always bet certain fellas I'm going to be champion one day and when I'm champion I'm going to come back and show you I'm wrong another say, "Guys, I'm going to be a great doctor one day and I'm going to be a dentist I'm going to be a great scientist I'm going to be a president of the country and but very few people actually are able to make good of the boats and come home and say I told you